Welcome to the Cultural Podcast, the place where we believe that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a lifestyle. Meet your host, Dietta Jones, 32-year industry veteran, transformational leadership expert, and the owner of Dietta Jones & Associates, the go-to management training and strategic consulting firm for some of the world's leading companies and institutions. Tune in to this podcast for fresh perspectives and hot topics and current events that are shaping today's society and the contemporary workplace. Dietta. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Asia. This episode is brought to you by Culture Road, a live and on-demand digital learning solution powered by Dietta Jones and Associates. Culture Road is an easy-to-use subscription delivering fresh content monthly and access to experts to help professionals at all levels thrive in the contemporary workplace. Stay up to date with best practices on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and acquire the necessary skills and tools to effectively lead, manage, and influence others. Get connected with our community of practice to further your professional development at cultureroad.com. Wow, the Culture Road podcast, episode one. You know how you dream, dream things up and then the moment finally comes? It's a really surreal feeling. You're in for a treat. For more than 30 years, my career has taken me around the world and has allowed me the opportunity to peek inside of well-known organizations across industries like advertising and government, higher education, publishing, healthcare, as vast as the span and as different as each of the organizations are internally, each share similarities with regard to the common issues that they face in adapting to the societal advancements that have forced change in the workplace. We are undoubtedly in a new world of work, one where old systems are being challenged, leadership is being held to greater levels of accountability, and where global crisis has taken a front seat in the daily course of business. No longer can companies and managers turn a blind eye to what is happening outside of the four walls of their workplace. Being in the know and understanding how world issues and developments in popular culture are impacting their employees is to their benefit in determining how to best navigate and transition. So how did I get here? In today's episode, I want to talk to you about my culture road, how my beginnings would lead one to believe that I was a least likely candidate, yet a divine path opened up that led me to have a potential impact that I still hope to have. I'm joined by a personal branding strategist, Asia Corinne McGee, who is going to help me pull this story out so that I don't skip over any of the good stuff. Asia, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Sierra. I am incredibly excited. I had the opportunity to chat with you just to learn your story firsthand. And I knew then that more people needed to hear about the makings of this woman. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because you know many people see you here three decades later, the work that you're doing, impacting firms, institutions on this global scale, but your story personally really fuels this work and it's a greater mission and a bigger picture um, that will help people to 
really understand what this whole thing is about. So I want you to talk to us about your beginnings before Deanna Jones and Associates. Talk to us about your growing up. So I grew up in a little town called Waukegan, Illinois. It was uh, and is a northern suburb um, outside of Chicago, about an hour away from Chicago. Um, and it was a small community that was very segregated uh, socioeconomically, racially. Uh, I was pretty isolated from a lot of the kind of events that happened were happening around me in the world. Um, I also grew up, um, for the most part, with um, a, a mother and three younger sisters. Um, my mother worked a lot, so I was often in a primary caregiver role. And I moved a lot. My childhood was filled with moving, oftentimes back and forth across state lines, where I would change at elementary schools, sometimes seven times in a year. So I had a lot of transition, I had a lot of uncertainty, I had a lot of questions about kind of where do I fit and how do I belong and what my role is in the world where I oftentimes felt like I was constantly in transition. Another aspect of my identity is that my parents are, my mother is white and my father is black. And again, growing up in towns and communities that were very racially segregated, the idea of me being biracial and trying to really wrestle with what does that mean from an identity point of view was something that I struggled with mightily as a young person. And it actually became the catalyst for me starting to do this work, really trying, trying to figure out my own identity and where I fit. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more because um, I really want to put some real life scenarios like in some very general ways, how did identity play a role in the different experiences that you had? Yeah, it's so, you know, it's, it's tricky. My, my mother grew up as one of many children, and she grew up, as I said, she's white, but she grew up in communities that were primarily black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. And so she often felt kind of outside of the cool group. Yeah. And my father grew up in a little town in, called Mariana in Arkansas, and he grew up in a very segregated, racially segregated experience as well, especially as a very young person. He also had a very, very large family. And the very large families, I think, are important because it's, you're already trying to figure yourself out. And it's hard to have up-close parental relationships when you're one of 10 or one of 15, right? And so to try to figure out their identities in worlds that were really divided racially was probably just an enormous amount of pressure for them. At some point, my father ended up moving to the north, which is where he met my mother. And he brought with him, I think, a lot of those kind of messages about what it means to be black that were very um, present and pervasive in the south at the time that he was there. And I think that he and my mother actually found solace in each other because each of them were trying to escape their own feelings of otherness. And from that place, I, that's where I came from. And it's not about judging it, but it definitely is hard to try to figure out my own identity when both of my parents, I think, were wrestling with the issue themselves Absolutely. and try to figure out what does my place in the world look like. So here's the other part. This is a long time ago. This is before <laughs> Halle Berry and Tiger Woods and them were cool and, you know, biracial was a thing. And it was, it, it, this was when 
it wasn't cool and people didn't have a spot for me. And when race riots were happening, literally race riots were happening at my school and I had to pick a side or where members of my own family would use racial slurs. And I had to try to figure out, is that about me? Do they hate me? Am I bad? Am I ugly? Am I supposed to be in this family? And so a lot of those starting with racial identity uh, kind of questions started very early in my life. And then they trickled into questions about gender, mm -hmm. about class. I grew up very poor, about uh, religion. I grew up Jehovah's Witness, which is definitely marginalized by mainstream society. So I had all of these identities that I really was wrestling with for the vast majority of my young life. And I think that wrestle um, allowed me to, as painful as it was, allowed me to get to a place where I said, I have to put this in front of me and I have to figure out how to work through it. Yeah. And so that's where my journey really begins. Yeah, I want to hone in on that education piece because your identity is being formed through your experiences at home, seeing your mother and father, but also schools, so many children from diverse backgrounds, and that creates a very stark reality for you oftentimes. And how did education, even leading up into your college years, I know you mentioned um, even coming from the background that you were in, education furthered education being a little bit taboo. Right, right. So can you talk to us about identity and, and your educational experiences yeah. and how things came to life during that time? Yeah, so I always, educationally, I always had a hard time just keeping up. I was in transition so much and moving from school system to school system so much that I really wrestled to just keep up academically. And academics weren't prioritized because of the religious affiliation that I had and the way that I was brought up. Academics were important to kind of get through, but it wasn't the priority. It was instead that we were really supposed to be focusing on kind of our spiritual journey. And so I didn't really prioritize academics and I also didn't really have a strong base, right? So that by the time I kind of got to a place where I was in high school, I was really struggling academically to figure out like, what is it, what are the seminal works that I'm supposed to know? <laughs> what is all the foundational stuff related to math that I should be able to then apply at this next level? Um, and also at that point when I was in high school is when I also moved um, to Colorado and lived with my father. And the two of us uh, just kind of started over and tried to navigate, again, altogether new experiences. But that was the point at which I also shifted from being in a primarily black environment in Illinois to a primarily white environment in Colorado. And I had gone back and forth many times over the years, but I made kind of a hard shift right around high school. So then trying to figure out, like, how do I fit into this world that was altogether different than the world that I had been in before, mm -hmm. and, um, and also succeed, mm -hmm. right? How do I have myself have a true and authentic place in this world that has not um, experienced people like me before, and also where I don't even know the rules of how it is to be successful academically, socially, um, in this space? I, I was able to um, find a couple of people along the way or they found me yeah. and said, you know what? I see a little something, I wanna help you. And I don't know if it was pity or they just saw something, um, a kernel of something, but I ended up being able to get a scholarship to college because of some of that generous help. Here's the thing that's really interesting and you alluded to it before. College was not on my radar before this. It was, again, because of my religious upbringing, not an option. I was not, not only not encouraged, I was not allowed to go to college. I was supposed to 
get married, get, get a job, have children, and continue on in my faith. And so to go to college was a pretty significant undertaking, but there was something about me, this quest for uh, more knowledge, more exposure. I had this um, unquenchable curiosity that I still have, and I felt like I needed to have that experience. I knew that there would be something really important that I needed to experience, and there was. Yeah. There was. And there was a mentor in college that took you under her wing and she checked a lot of other boxes, yeah. which gave you a bit of confidence in your own identity. Yeah. Talk to us about that. So her name is Barb and she is one of many mentors and angels um, who have been in my life. And I, there was something really amazing that Barb did that no one had really done until then. I felt for the first time seen. Mm -hmm. You know that feeling? And like she literally just saw me. She wasn't intrusive. She didn't make a big fuss about it. I didn't get the sense that she was taking pity on me or that she saw me as exotic or, or you know, kind of interesting in ways that were more about her. It was truly about me. I felt like she was the perfect example of generosity and love and mentorship. And she poured into me without trying to make me into her. Yeah. The other thing about Barb is that she's incredibly different from me, from her identity's point of view, right? So we have a 20 year age gap. She identified at the time as lesbian, she still does, which was brand new for me because I grew up in a religion where this was not even an option, right? This, in anything about you know, sexual orientation other than uh, uh, straight was not even an option. And so I didn't really have perspective about other ways in which identities played into people's lives. All I knew was I was this biracial kid that didn't fit anywhere. I was poor. I was a Jehovah's Witness. That's it. That's all I knew. And I also knew that I was just constantly othered everywhere I went. And I didn't know where I was supposed to be. And that's all I knew. But I didn't really know how to explore that. And Barb did. And Barb had done this work and she had done her own really important work and she was continuing to do that. And she just kind of gently walked beside me, yeah. which was an absolute gift. And the other thing that she did is that she introduced me to the field of interculturalism. So this is a field that she had been studying in. She had also studied deeply um, topics related to leadership and management in organizational settings and also in community settings. And so I got to kind of sit side by side with her and learn about things that were intellectually part of her own journey and that I could not absorb enough. I was so in love with the idea of understanding how cultures work, that there are actual constructs around culture that are always present and that there are all these amazing things that make up culture that I love about culture. And there are also some of these things that are pretty painful sometimes, and that I was experiencing and that she had experienced, and that also constitute a lot of the ways in which people feel marginalized and or oppressed in the world, yeah. that was so powerful for me to actually have a construct around and to put language to. And then practically to think about, now how could this turn into um, knowledge, wisdom, practical application that I could potentially bring into a career yeah but also that I could help people bring into their own lives in really immediate ways, as in in their workplace lives. So Barb, Barb opened up the world to me, and she also modeled for me 
how it is that I want to be able to kind of gently walk side by side with other people without trying to turn them into me, but instead kind of creating a path yeah. for people to go where they need to go. That is so good because it seems like in college, the script flipped yeah. where your identity at some point you felt a little underneath it, trying to understand how to navigate it. But then in college, it became your superpower um, as Barb showed you how to use it as an asset. And so interculturalism, it became a career and led to a new career path. So, I mean, crazy that college was not on your radar and then some pretty game changing things happened for you post-college. Talk to us about that. Ah, so, you know, you know, there's a there's a part right at the end of my undergraduate career and my um, kind of next steps that was really powerful. And it's more personal. It's it, it involves a boy. It involves a guy. <laughs> I met someone who I absolutely adored. And it was he became my boyfriend. We dated for a couple of years, but it was it was another really pivotal moment in my life because I had been through college really heavily um, doing a lot of activist work. Yeah. Active in any cause. I was in, I was down, I was doing, I was marching, I was, you know, wearing my Malcolm X shirt. I just had so much in me and I, and I was spilling all over the place with activism and it was wonderful and I'm so thankful for all of that. And then I got to a place where I, I was like, there's something else, but I'm not exactly sure what it was. And you know that great saying, like, when the pupil is ready, the teacher yeah. will present themselves. Mm -hmm. I felt like this person became that next uh, teacher yeah. for me. And the thing that was different about him is that he was white. And I have always, even though I'm biracial, I've always identified myself with the black community, and I've always been identified as part of the black community. And so... I, but I also feel like small boxes are not the right place for me to live in. And I needed something that just pushed me a little bit further into deeper self-exploration. And so I met this person and I started this really amazing, almost spiritual transformation and journey where I started reading and writing. I discovered Alice Walker and, and Bob Marley and Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. And I started traveling and taking road trips and I... I started meditating and doing yoga and became vegetarian. Like I literally just started going inward and then out and out and out where I started seeing the world as bigger than just power and oppression, which is how I had spent so much of my college career, focusing on power and oppression. And now I really wanted to go to what is the aspiration? What does the world look like in all of its beauty and glory? And how do I understand it so that I can integrate that into the work that I want to do next. And that's, that's that moment. And it was so powerful and transformational. After that, and through that stage, I also had the great opportunity to be the director of a human rights office for a city government. Um, and that was a wonderful, amazing, another amazing um, mentor and angel, Alma, who positioned me to have uh, really close relationships with the then mayor of the city mm -hmm. to help me navigate relationships and then position me at 25 years old That's crazy. as the director of a human rights <laughs> office where I was literally um, investigating and hearing complaints of discrimination and helping people navigate through those and being entrusted to do that important and incredibly confidential and incredibly sensitive work. We helped to create policy that made sure that hate crimes against people from the LGBTQA 
uh, plus communities are identified as such and punished as such and being held accountable as such as hate crimes. And so it allowed me to continue to understand how I could have an impact beyond just the identities that were my own personal identities or pain points or areas of trauma or oppression or marginalization and instead focus on where it is that I could think about having um, potential privilege that I have turn into a way for me to have power and presence and, um, and make advancements. The other thing that happened is shortly thereafter, I took a position in Washington, D.C. with an organization that was a, um, international. It's, a, it's called the Association of Research Libraries. And in that position, I got a chance to travel all over the United States and Canada initially. But then within a year, I was traveling around the entire globe. And so I, I have pictures of myself on the internet flying kites in Tiananmen <laughs> Square yeah. or giving speeches in the Philippines or in Taiwan or in Hong Kong or in Australia or in New, Ze New Zealand. And what I realized is that, again, the lenses that I had been bringing from the earlier parts of my life were too small. Yeah. And I feel like every stage of my journey has allowed me to really zoom out and to realize, don't go small. Do not be tempted by the minutia. Don't be tempted by the polarization. There's not, there's not ever only two options, yeah. right? Left or right, good or bad, right or wrong is never enough options. And so being able to travel the world and have some of the most generous, humble, kind, beautiful people also be some of the poorest people on the entire planet, it reminds me that the stuff that we kind of get in the weeds about or the stuff that might be pain points here, if we zoom out and if we tap into a different part of ourselves, yeah. we, could, we could accomplish so much more, yeah. right? There's so much in us. So was that like your turning point where you said, even the roles that I've held thus far, they can't hold me any longer, <laughs> enters Deetta Jones and Associates. Talk to us about that turning point where you were like, I see this mission, this path chose me. And now I have to create this space. Girl, no. <laughs> no? It wasn't that at all. Okay. I basically, I love this. I love this. You're like, and then you I were know, so I, transformed. I build yeah, up. Yeah. And I was no. like, okay, no. well, tell us how I really they, the, the organization reorganized. Okay. I had to say to all of my team, y'all got to find another job. And I literally had to figure out how to find another job. <laughs> I had no idea what to do. And I said, I don't know what to do. I, I swear to you, I went out and got a real estate license. <laughs> I said, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll sell real estate. I'm terrible with direction, so I can't find a house, regardless of the technology. And Waze wasn't invented then. And then I also am terrible with paperwork. I'm not a detailed <laughs> person. Don't give me paperwork. It was awful. I was the worst realtor on the planet. I sold myself a house. And then my phone started ringing. And all of the people who I had given speeches for, or done workshops for, or consulted with over the 10 years prior started calling me. And they just called and called and called and called. And I said, yes, 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 of course I'll help you. And it wasn't like I was trying to, I didn't have something in my head. I literally was just trying to help. Folks were saying, can you please help? Remember when you did that thing? It was so powerful. It was helpful. And I was like, sure. Yeah, of course. And then next thing you know, I was so busy that I thought, okay, let me just keep going. And that's how Dieta Jones and Associates started. And I wish that I had this grand vision. I would, it would be such an interesting story, but I didn't. I was just trying to help. And the years went by, and I, I have to say, over those years, I just dug in deep. 
I was, it was me on my own. I was, you know, just, I, I, I had to, every dollar I earned was dollars that required me to get on a plane yeah. or to show up somewhere. So I was spending all of my time between 70 and 90% of my time traveling around and just trying to be of service and help. Mm -hmm. But so much of my life was kind of disjointed. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of flexibility because I was constantly on planes. I was constantly depleted. I was constantly trying to deliver for someone else. Mm -hmm. I, um, I always felt like I needed to have the best. I always felt like I needed to show up and bring 110% because I didn't have a big infrastructure around me. I didn't know if what mm -hmm. I was doing was actually as good as it could be or as good as what somebody could have gotten if they went somewhere else. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, um, five or so at this point, I was called by a university in Saudi Arabia. And every year, they, are, they were a relatively young university, about 10 or 11 years old at the time. And they called me and said, every year we do this leadership um, series for our top executives across the entire university. So the whole top layer of the university goes through this executive development experience every year because they bring in people from all over the world. So it builds culture within their institution, but it also makes sure that the people who are coming there aren't feeling isolated from some of the kind of leading edge voices and experiences that they could get maybe in one of their home countries. And I said, sure, absolutely, I'd love to do that. I was terrified. Um, but I said, can you give me a little bit of perspective about who came last year? And they were like, oh, Harvard. Oh, Harvard came. <laughs> and you want me to go next? Oh, got you, all right. Yeah. So maybe I can just get a sneak peek, like just tell me what you already covered, right? And that's the kind of work that I've been doing all of those years where people would come and say, can you do? And the stakes seemed so high that I just had to work so hard. And so I was just digging so deep to try to figure out like, what is the very best look like? What is the absolute, not just contemporary best practice, but next practice? And what's always going to be globally applicable, yeah. right? Because it's easy to get kind of in the weeds of what I know in my region or in my own country. But when you're being called to work at a global level, you gotta be able to pan out and say, do these concepts and do these ideas actually translate? So that's where Dieta Jones came, and Associates came from, is that for many years, actually about 15 years, it was me kind of out doing my own journey and uh, mm -hmm. through, the, through, the, uh, through the desert and exploring and building my own capacity and my own experiences. And then just four or five years ago, I said, you know what, I really think we need to go to something else now. We need to really transition to something that actually models yeah. what it can and should look like when we totally 100% embrace the diversity that we preach. Mm -hmm. And so I started hiring and I assembled, well not assembled is probably not the right word, but pulled together um, this amazing group of people who come from such extraordinarily different walks of life mm -hmm. Their paths are different, their identities are different, the way that they think and talk and act and, and operate are all different from each other. Yeah. And we're kind of like this wonderful experiment of if we're really going to be inclusive and we really are going to value every voice and we really are going to believe that genius lives at the intersection and also we know that it takes more work, let's practice it amongst ourselves yeah. first. And that's who we are and that's what we do and that's what Dieta Jones and Associates is. I just feel like we need to insert some claps right here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like...
This episode is brought to you by Culture Road, a live and on-demand digital learning solution powered by Dieta Jones and Associates. Culture Road is an easy-to-use subscription, delivering fresh content monthly and access to experts to help professionals at all levels thrive in the contemporary workplace. Stay up to date with best practices on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and acquire the necessary skills and tools to effectively lead, manage, and influence others. Get connected with our community of practice to further your professional development at cultureroad.com. Really, really good. And, and I love that even now I'm learning things about you. I want to know, and, and this is a loaded question because you've been in this industry for many, many, many years, even though <laughs> you, you don't look like it at all. But what was a time or a few times where you really felt like, I know I made impact in that space? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that one is such a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard question because the topic is so big and broad and expansive and the definition of impact is so subjective. Yeah. So, but there have been, there have been times where I feel like, okay, I'm really making impact or we're making impact or something impactful is happening mm -hmm. because we were able to have some ability to touch it in some way. So earlier in my career, I created something called the um, Leadership and Career Development Program that I created when I was at the Association of Research Libraries. It's still in existence. Yeah. I had to write a grant for the very first time in my life. I didn't even know anything about how the grant writing process. I had to secure funds. I had to sell all of these um, executives from all of these different uh, academic libraries on the fact that this is a good idea. Mm -hmm and also that it was theirs yeah. so that they would support it, right? <laughs> I totally said, this is your idea. Trust me, this is what you want. Yeah. And, and I had to breathe life into it. And it was ridiculously difficult. It was ridiculously difficult. And for 10 years, and then even after I left the association, I still kind of shepherded it along mm -hmm. and just poured love into not just the program, but to all of the people and the people who mentored and the people that they went on to mentor and the ways in which people went on to create publications and become national and global leaders and spokespeople and, and transforming the way knowledge is distributed in the world and, and having impact that allows for knowledge to flow more freely and more accessibly. I mean, it's just so wonderful to see what has been born out of the amazing people who are able to be more seen yeah. through that experience. I've had other experiences that are similar to that um, over the course of my career where I've been able to create something. I'll give an example. A few years ago, I was um, invited to be a keynote speaker at a conference in Bahrain. And it was a conference that was for the entire region, the Middle East. So there were people from all over the Middle East. And I was invited as the keynote speaker. Yeah. I'm not sure why. <laughs> and maybe because of the work that I had done in Saudi Arabia. And Again, I was terrified. I had never been to Bahrain, and I didn't really have a sense of the audience. It was a very different experience for me. So I didn't know what to wear. I was a woman traveling unaccompanied. How was I going to be received? Would I be received well? Would I be received with seriousness, right? What, you know, all sorts of different identities questions came up. Well, I get on stage, and there's, after a lot of ceremony, a lot of very formal ceremony, a lot of it in languages altogether unfamiliar for me, all of, a lot of it religious, and I get on stage, and I'm introduced, 
and I say my, my formal thank yous, and then I give my speech. And it's about, it's about leadership, and it's about identities, and it's about having our own authentic voice and bringing it into spaces. And the, the, even though I was in the Middle East, the conference was a lot more um, split demographically than I imagined. There were kind of half and half men and women, but everyone was dressed very traditionally, and all of the women were covered in some traditional way, and some covered fully, 100% veiled, where I couldn't even see their eyes. So I wasn't exactly sure if this was resonating, if yeah. this was the right <laughs> message, if I'm the right messenger. After that speech, there was a receiving line that took me an hour and a half wow. to work through. There were people in line like this, men and women, with tears streaming down their faces, telling me how much I moved them and embracing me and telling me, you have shown me what it is possible for me to be. And the men saying, thank you so much. I had no idea. I had no idea. And, and for me, moments like that, where I am able to step fully into a place of tremendous kind of fear and insecurity yeah. and then push through it and then be able to have people say, I see something that I would not have otherwise seen yeah. and it makes me feel whole mm -hmm. or it makes me feel hopeful mm -hmm. is the most gratifying feeling in the world. And so those are the kinds of experiences that fuel me. And I don't have those experiences every day, yeah. but I remember them as often as possible because that's what I want. I want people to focus on the aspiration. Yeah. And I want to, wherever I can, help to be a little bit of the inspiration for that aspiration. Mm. Yeah, and, and truthfully, that's one of the things I love about Culture Road because you spent years going out on your own and having these impact moments, but Culture Road is a vehicle for that thought, that idea to be widespread. And so let's talk a little bit about the Cultural Solution because we have a Cultural Podcast, but yes. it's actually named after a digital learning platform that Dieta Jones and Associates recently launched. So why was now the time for Culture Road to make a debut? Um, you know, we're, we're experiencing a, a cultural collapse right now. <laughs> That's to put too fine a point on it. Um, and when cultures change, which they do, we have to anchor to something, right? So what I don't want is for us to anchor to the pain and the trauma. I know that there is a huge faction of people in the world who are very much aligned with uh, Daenerys in the Game of Thrones. Remember that last episode where she's like, just burn it all down. <laughs> Right? And, I, and I felt her. When she, when she was burning it all down, I felt her. I felt. A little I, waiting I, I, to I was, exhale I was, moment. Oh, my goodness. I felt <laughs> it. And then, but then I, I could not help at the moment. I thought, wait, 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 wait. And then what? We're all standing in the ashes. Then what? What happens once it's all burnt down and we're all standing collectively in the ashes? Who will be served by that? And I don't want to be in that place. I can't help but believe that aspiration is a better place than trauma for us to anchor. And, and I want Culture Road to be a place where aspiration is what we focus on. Yeah. I don't have it all figured out, but that ain't my job. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to figure it all out. Right? I, what I want is to help create and hold space for people who also want to find where it is that we should go next 
and then us build it together, yeah. right? And so Culture Road is not a, I'm going to give you the recipe. I'm going to tell you that these ideas are good and those ideas are bad. I am not going to judge or blame. This is instead about us coming together as a community of people who knows that the world is collapsing around us. And if we come together, right, we can tap into this beautiful set of shared values yeah. that will carry us to the immediate and then also the not so uh, immediate future destination that could be incredibly powerful, but we have to build it. Yeah. We can't assume that it's just going to manifest. We have to build it. Yeah. And so Culture Road also has in it space for people who are anywhere along the continuum, mm -hmm. right? Because some people are, are like Denarius. They're like, I wanna burn it all down, but I'm curious, what are y'all doing over there? Yeah. And there are other people who are like, I don't even know what the heck y'all are talking about. I just, my, my employees told me I need to do something. Can somebody just give me a checklist, yeah. right? And here's the other thing about the folks who are asking for a checklist. Cool, come on in. Yeah. I'm gonna give you a checklist and I'm gonna tell you when the time is right that a checklist is not the thing that you need, mm -hmm. that even asking for a checklist is kind of tone deaf. Yeah. But for right now, if you need to get started and you have decision-making ability, if you have authority, if you have the ability to actually make something happen that is going to be in the service of our aspirational goals, come on in and let's us figure it out together. But what I don't want is to marginalize people who are trying their hardest, they just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people who are you know, feeling like all oh, this equity, diversity, and inclusion stuff is a sham. I don't want them to feel like I don't understand that. Yeah. I get it, I get it. Mm -hmm. But I just know that we have to have more than just two options and that trauma is not the place to sit and rest. We got to get out of that and we got to find something else. And so that's what Culture Road is. It should be really, really practical. Yeah. It should be fun. Mm -hmm. It should be a space for people to build and grow and develop and learn skills and apply them immediately. But it should also be a place where we feel seen, yeah. where we feel safe, where we feel like this is the place that I want to actually kind of help me feel connected in a world mm -hmm. that's filled with disconnect and othering and marginalization. I just want to take a moment and just acknowledge how powerful that is. If you were to go back to your college years and you said that your mentor made you feel seen and now you have created a safe space to help others feel seen to move into a greater work, that is extremely powerful. And one thing I also love about Culture Road is that it's not just a moment in time. I think yeah. how, you know, DEI has been approached is like we're going to have one half day training and that's right. going to solve the world's crisis. But you are creating a space for people to get it right and yeah. getting it right doesn't just happen in four hours. It's collaboration. It's hard conversations. It's going back and forth. It's us understanding um, other perspectives. And so... Culture Road is a game changer. And every single part of my life I describe as a journey. Yeah. And I believe that this is all a journey. And so Culture Road has to be a journey. This episodic learning or exposure or training, or it, it, it's not about learning. None of that promotes learning. That's all kind of a checklist. I did it, it's done, mm -hmm. I complied. But learning doesn't work like that, yeah. right? So if you even think about Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, right, and, and how important it is for us to think about, we are 
kind of restarting. A lot of us in this new world of work, we're restarting our 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. We're at the beginning of that again as we're going into a wholly new space. Yeah. And so what we need to do is give ourselves the room to grow and learn and integrate and process and practice yeah. over time, right? And that's what Culture Road is. There's no dipping in and out. We come, we grow, we stay together over time. Yeah. That's the goal. Through the digital learning platform, which I know you do live monthly sessions, yep. you also have tons of content and worksheets and all types of resources just to help people work through those subjects. But also the podcast, like what is your vision for the cultural brand at large 10 years from now, 20 years from now? What type of impact do you want it to have on society? Oh, good question. I want us to. I want this to, to not be um, following the popular path, mm -hmm. finding something that's broken and jumping on it, yeah. or finding someone who stepped outside of the line that I drew for you, <laughs> and then I'm going to call them out, and I'm going to criticize them, and I'm going to bash them. Yeah. I do not bash. It is yeah. not happening. It is not who I am. So it's not good. what I'm about. Yeah. This, I want this to be a place where we kind of tap into a higher vibration, right? That's the vibration I'm coming with. Mm -hmm. And, and if I bring guests who may be in a different place, maybe the juxtaposition will be good for all of us. But the goal is for, over time, all of us, I hope, to really start spending time really tapping into that inner vibration that is really about aspiration, it's about generosity, it's about growth and learning, and then figuring out how do we put those things in action practically and in every part of our lives. And so my goal is for people to feel like they can come here and get their cups filled up yeah. a little bit at a time, to know that they're gonna get a lot of smiles, to know that there's a lot of love coming through it, and to know that there's people who they can join and be part of and contribute to and um, are always gonna be kind of working towards the same end goal. And that is really finding a community of people who want to see the world be in a healthy and whole place where all of us are feeling seen. Well, my cup is full <laughs> from our conversation. Like literally, if you could just see my insides, like they're glowing <laughs> with inspiration, like truly. And I just want you to leave listeners with some advice for their journey, for their path. Right now at this moment, you had um, some pivotal turning points in your life and self-discovery that really helped to, well, really was a catalyst for where you are today. So give some sound, practical advice. Um, the people are, that are trying to navigate where they are, what should they be doing right now to, to kind of fuel their next? Yeah. You know, I have to be honest. I, I think that the world is so filled with noise mm -hmm. that this is the time to actually be quiet, Ooh. to listen, mm -hmm. and to listen in here. I feel like we have so much wisdom inside of us that we, um, we can't even hear, or that we doubt, or that we judge, or that we dismiss because it doesn't align with all the noise that's around us in the world. But the noise that's around us in the world is toxic, it's oppressive, right? right? If it's telling you judge somebody, cut somebody off here because of this, because mm, I don't think that that's really the inner voice yeah. talking. And so start there, start there always, and then go back to that place over and over and over again, because that place is right. And then find yourself in the company of people who are like-minded yeah. and who 
not just kind of philosophically and intellectually, but also kind of spiritually have the same alignment. When I say spiritual, I mean that in any shape or form, but kind of get it. Like, you know what, all this bashing, all this negativity, all this smallness is not a good place because energy begets energy. And I'm not trying to be so meta. I mean, very practically, surround yourself with people who are going to help you become the better version of yourself. And then look for opportunities in your organization, in your community, in your daily practice to, um, to actually demonstrate the things that um, reflect your values, that reflect your shared values, the language that you use with people, the way you write an email, how you greet people, right? How it is that you review policies, how you make decisions, how you go into negotiations, how it is that you communicate out broadly about change in your organization. Think about all of the touch points that we have in our lives mm -hmm. for actually showing up yeah. in a way that really reflects our values and do that often. And when you don't do that, learn yeah. and just make a little adjustment and get it right the next time, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that those are three practical steps and none of them require us to have a huge amount of resources or have a tremendous position of authority or power, but all of them can have such tremendous impact if we actually start practicing them right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally, that's all I have to say behind this interview. Dieta, thank you, thank you for this conversation. And the people want more of Dieta. I know that. They don't even have to tell me. The people want more of Dieta. So tell us how we can connect with you. Where can we connect with you? You can always, always, always connect with us at cultureroad.com. Come to cultureroad.com. We are there, we are live, we are active, we are involved. We're there synchronously and asynchronously. Yeah. So we are always there and we're always connected. We also have um, dietajones.com, yeah. which is a full suite of consulting services and, and um, coaching yeah. that we can absolutely connect with people in any way, shape or form. But we'd love to just be part of this bigger community of people who are trying to really change the world and um, would love to have people reach out and connect with us as actively as possible. That is a wrap for the Cultural Podcast, episode one. More juicy topics to come, hot topics, current events. The Cultural Podcast is really a space where we do not shy away from the tough topics and we are able to gain other perspective just to help advance how we are thinking about things. And the Cultural Podcast is back for another episode yes. coming up. And I know you got some of your colleagues and girlfriends joining you for episode two. Yes, we have a lively cast of characters for episode two and some really, really smart, thoughtful folks who will be guests in uh, upcoming episodes. And then all the way through, we're just going to make sure that we're always inviting people who have really interesting perspectives, who have a lot of personality, who can really help us explore topics and get them bigger. And also, we'd love to hear from listeners. So I'm really hoping that you know we can get folks to tune in and talk to us and share some of their ideas and give us some direction on future guests and, and areas of focus, too. Absolutely. So sound off in those comments. Let us know what you thought about this introduction and future topics you would like to listen to. But also make sure that you are screenshotting this episode, sharing on social media, continuing the conversation in that space. We'd love to see you over in cyberspace as well. 
Thanks for tuning into the Culture Road Podcast. We want to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on social media to let us know that you're listening. You can find us on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a question or comment? Drop a note under this episode or email us at podcast at cultureroad.com. You might hear your commentary on a future episode. Until next time.